0: Do you have one message to anyone who is healing from their own trauma and or looking to do what you say so eloquently in your podcast and just move past it and help other people move past their particular trauma?
1: You're not your circumstances and you can be both the author and the audience of your own life. And when you do, <laughs> as hard as it is, it's, it's worth it. <laughs> it really is in the end. I wouldn't change a thing about my life. I know that's probably a very <laughs> dramatic and and maybe difficult thing to understand or to comprehend for a lot of people, but it's the truth. <laughs> and it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey movers, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? oh happy friday so glad to have you guys back um i have been working all week very diligently on a documentary project that has been a part of my life for the last three years i've been wrapping it up uh with a dear friend of mine named sharon rocky rogio who's actually going to be on this program very soon the film is called 1946 it is an important film that is coming out and we are putting it all together and it's, uh, it's amazing to see it come to fruition. It's been a long time coming. Um, so I will have her on the program very soon. Um, but this week I want to do something a little different. I, um, I had toyed toyed around with, um, doing an episode. Of the similar content, but I, I thought that this particular interview that I had done on a podcast called sincerely future you hosted by a woman named Jess McKinley. She's a friend of mine. She's very cool. She actually recently got married and has a baby and another one. And, um, she is a life coach. She is a business coach for female executives and she it has this wonderful podcast. And our episode was very, um, was, was really poignant. I said some really great things in it. And I thought like, I I wanted to talk about the same subject with you guys on an episode, which I might cover later on down the road, but I thought this was such a great interview. I wanted to share it with you guys. So I'm going to do that on this week's episode, but first I want to get to a listener question, uh, as I always do, you guys send in, you know, I try to read all your comments on YouTube, your DMS. You send me for those of you that find me on TikTok, Thank you very much. I read all of your comments whenever I can. And, um, you know, and I, and I really think it's valuable and I love hearing your input on all the episodes that I'm doing. So thank you so much. Please keep that up. Please reach out uh, mpmpodcast.com. Um you can reach out to me on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, um uh YouTube, and um TikTok at Call Your Landry is all my social media handles. Please don't please don't hesitate to reach out. My website, callyourlandry.com, all that stuff, all the things for you guys. I just love hearing from you and it helps make me make better content for you guys, my audience. And I love that. So this comes from JS on YouTube. And she said, now this is in regards to an episode that I did about my father sending me a letter, um, where he discusses this, I, this very, um, fantastical scenario where my mother was involved in a Chinese gold smuggling ring and <laughs> a uh baby selling ring and sort of some pedophile activity of selling children just complete crazy talk is what i think the polite way of describing it is the the normal way that i would describe it is just bullshit um so I was discussing this, you're know, reading this letter and discussing my thoughts on it. And this, and this person writes writes to me and she says, I think you put too much pressure on yourself to let things go. Your family abandoned you. And on top of that, what your dad is going, is going to do to cause some feelings to say the least. There's no excuse for what your blood relatives did and didn't do, none. Try looking at it from your mother's perspective. My ex-husband tried to kill me, and I promise you she was worried about how this would affect you and your sister. Would you hear that was what was happening? See it. Would he hurt you too? And, And who was going to watch over you when she couldn't? These people failed her in the worst possible way, and they were pretty much as bad in her eyes as your father was. How do I know that I lived and my family bailed on me and my kids. I have a hell of a lot more anger towards them than I do my ex-husband. I think you can experience positive feelings for people like your adoptive family, but you don't have to make any excuses for all the people who failed you and your mother, you deserved better. And so did your mom. Um, wow, that is a lot. And as I talk about on the, on the podcast a lot about my family. Um, both sides of my family, my father's side and my mother's side, not being there for me when it was the worst possible time of my life. Um, and, uh, I don't harbor any anger towards these people. I have tried to reconcile with them over the years. Um, some do talk to me. Um, but my, my mother's sister who was very close to me in my life, I have not spoken to and. 20 some years. Um, it's unfortunate. It is not for a lack of me trying to bring these people in the fold into my life, but I feel like, you know, would my mother be angry with them? Sure. Of course I think she would. And am I angry with them? Yeah. But uh, you gotta let that shit go. That's my, that is my opinion on all of that. And that is, you know, ties into this week's episode of. Sincerely future you of what I would love to say to my 11 year old self and when I was going through the trauma of losing my family, you know, not only losing my family, losing my mother, losing my father, losing where I grew up in my whole sense of normalcy, the whole world that I had become to know at that point in my life, losing everything. And then needing those people to be there through me uh, be there for me through all of that. And I feel like. A lot of people can carry a lot of this shit in their lives and it can really take hold of you as you get older and as you become, I mean, I I think if you become a parent, I'm not a parent, um, unless a Chihuahua counts. Um, but I think as some people approach fatherhood or, or motherhood. They start to think about the trauma that has come to them in their life when they were younger and how their families behaved with them. And, you know, a lot of people get angry and bitter and I just can't get down with that. And you know, I, like I said, I'm not a parent, but I feel a lot of these things take hold and what this episode of sincerely future you, that I'm going to share with you guys right now is all the things that I wanted to say to that 11 year old kid, well, 12 year old, when I was going to testify against my father and what that looked like and what I would say now, which is. I mean, I'm still here. Right. (laughs) And I'm still, I still feel like I'm leading a very positive life and doing very positive things and trying to influence the world around me in that small little, you know, in that little microcosm of a way that I can. So on that note, please enjoy this episode, which I believe was recorded in March of this year of the podcast, sincerely future you with Jess McKinley.
0: Welcome to Sincerely Future You. We have an interesting show for you today. It's not my usual content, but when I learned more about my guest story today, I thought it actually would be very beneficial for you guys, especially if you're someone who has ever wanted to make a part of your personal life, your business, but you felt very confused about where to draw the line to not get consumed with your personal life and not make sure that it it gets too messy. So I have someone that I've observed from afar do this really well. And before I go on, I do want to share a brief disclaimer. This week's episode will include a conversation about the loss of a loved one by murder. So if this makes you uncomfortable, no need to listen to this episode. Also, I will have some resources linked in the show notes, but I personally am very excited to bring you uh, someone who I've recently come to know, Collier Landry. And here's a little bit about him. Uh, While most hosts of true true crime podcasts simply discuss murders that fascinate them, Collier Landry, host of Moving Past Murder, has actually lived through one. On December 31st, 1989, when Collier was 11 years old, his father, Dr. John Jack Boyle, killed his mother, Noreen Boyle, and buried her in a crypt beneath the basement of their new house. Her body wouldn't be found until January 1990. The case became Mansfield, Ohio's crime of the century and spawned a forensic file, Files Episode in 2000, a documentary in 2018, and now Landry's own podcast. Moving Past Murder, which I highly recommend you go and check out yourselves. This has served as therapy and reconciliation, both for Landry and listeners who are processing betrayal and trauma in their own lives. So welcome, Collier.
1: Thank you for having me. Thanks Honored so much. I know
0: it's kind of unusual, maybe for both of us, for these two podcasts to come into light, but I, I did mention, uh, and I only gave a very brief, I don't know how to to briefly understate kind of the, the topic that you talk about on your podcast. So I, I want you to kind of take us back a little bit, and then I, I'd love to ask you some questions about the business end of it
1: sure so as you said when i was 11 years old my father i I heard my father murder my mother the case was originally treated as like a missing persons case and no one believed me i knew my mother was dead the next morning my when i woke up my father said you know mommy i said where's my mother and he said mommy took a little vacation call here and i'm like (laughs) And then went into this whole thing. We're not going to call the police or the FBI, which was super weird. My father is a narcissist and a sociopath and a psychopath, clearly. So what happened is, is I I had contacted my mother's friends and I said, you know, she's gone. Like, uh, somebody called the police. Police came and they treated it as a missing persons case. Then a detective so I thought it was interesting and showed up to this house to our house and my mother's body was buried in a house in another state that my father made bird bought for his mistress so it wasn't in our home it was in a completely other state and what happened is is i said to the detective i pulled him aside and i said my mother is dead don't don't believe my father don't like the, she's not she didn't just begin to fight and they ran out she would never leave me he took a chance on me, like listening to this 12-year-old kid. Now, my father was a doctor in a very small town community in Ohio where doctors are you know, feted a lot of times and given a lot of leeway. And his police captain was like, you're crazy. This is a doctor. We're not going to take this on. He goes, yeah, but there's something about this kid. So over the course of 25 days between my mother going missing on the December 31st and January 24th, when they found her body, uh, he and I worked in tandem to find out what happened to my mother. What had happened is, is that I was thrown into the spotlight and both sides of my family abandoned me. My father's side of the family wanted nothing to do with me because I, um, was, I was the person who got the, got the police that led them to you know, arresting my father. I was yeah. the person who testified to the grand jury for his indictment. And then ultimately, I testified at trial for two and a half days and he is still incarcerated to this day. And thrown to the wolves in the foster care system, and sort of just tried to f- sort all this out, and muster the strength to like testify and do what was right, and that experience. So that was about a six month time period of just being sort of isolated in foster care and having your whole world turned upside down. I mean, I, I was yanked out of my house, you know, lost my dog, my friends, like like everything was just a mess, right? As one could expect. One of the things that I always thought about, and especially after the trial, is You know, we now I say this because this was sort of now the narrative is sort of changing. We are becoming a lot more aware of the consequences of violence in the United States and around the world. Right. And the impacts that these things have on communities, ancillary victims, this this and that. Right. But my opinion growing up was very much so that we the the victim is dead, the bad guy goes to jail. The state gets its restitution, the gavel hits, and we say next. And we never look at the consequences of these things and the actions that brought them and the impact and the devastation that these have. And so mm-hmm. it sort of became my whole like life's mission, if you will. Uh, I, w- I went to music school, I dropped out, I moved to California, and I, and I decided to become a filmmaker. And m- it was my goal to, to tell my story and to honor my mother and to start bringing these things to... Uh, you know, to to light.
0: So that and was then- when you were around 21?
1: T- 21.
0: When you started, when you created the documentary, when you started to uh, dive into really taking this from your personal life to trying to make some sort of purpose and path for
1: yourself with like sure and so I mean, I, I, I love that it. it was only three years ago or four years ago now so if you say 21 I'm still 25 which I love <laughs> but <laughs> but no I um, no it was a you know everything takes a lot of time in Hollywood yeah. so I didn't I didn't really start into production until you know I got an investigation we you know I got a director on board Barbara Coppel she's won two Academy Awards for for documentaries and I and I brought on my friend, John Morrissey, who produced a film called American History Acts, which is a, a, an amazing film about the consequences of violence, stars Edward Norton, Beverly D'Angelo, and he's a neo-Nazi. Yes. Investigation Discovery came on board and then we made the film, and which airs on the Investigation Discovery, Hulu, Amazon, blah, blah, blah. The, the thing is, is again about these, the, the, like I was saying, the consequences of violence and the impact that these things have and like what happens, like what next, right? Moving past murder, the podcast then became an extension of the film because, like I said, I traveled around the world. The film came out, then we hit COVID, whatever. I, you know, I, right. I spoke at universities, things of that nature. And then I was like, okay, now I want to reach the audience to show them, okay, this is what happened. This honors my mother, and and now I've told the story. But now the now the next chapter of this is, sorry, sorry, I'm gonna get all yeah. emotional. The next chapter of this is to show people that you can go through extraordinary circumstances and survive or defy seemingly insurmountable odds and come out on the other side okay like you're gonna make it you know yeah. so that's that is what this whole thing you know, I'm just thinking about again oh, you know, sincerely future you right so you know I, i'm a kid sitting in foster care i have no family i'm 11 years old or 12 years old this time now and i'm thinking to myself you know like <laughs> what does life look like i've lost my mother, and my father, my dog, my, my, you know, my family, nobody wants anything to do with me. Right. And I'm wrapped up in this whirlwind of a, of a, sorry, I didn't expect to get this emotional. Um, I wrapped up this like whirlwind of a, of a case in my hometown. Like, what, what is my life going to look like? And I just remember. <laughs> I remember sitting in, in in the bedroom and just kind of like in this really dark place. It's like, I, you know, I would say like probably the nadir of my life, right? And, you know, I'm facing testifying against my father, which for a kid that that has just lost everything and for the fact that like, here's my father with his legal team and everything and he's a doctor, right? So he has money so he can just, you know, I mean, he almost got away with it. And if it wasn't for my persistence with this detective who I literally annoyed the living what out of you know he they wouldn't have found my mother and it would have been like my you know and these and cases like this are littered through our society of just these unanswered like okay somebody goes missing okay well i mean look at robert durst like you know this guy just passed away recently i did an episode about him but you know they still don't know what happened to his wife i mean they can assume what happened they don't have answers these poor people for 30 years like have wanted to know where she went, right? And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself at like 12 years old, like, what is my life going to look like? Okay. (laughs) If my father gets off, you know, my life is over. I mean, my life as I knew it was already over. But this is a guy that I'm going to then go back to custody with and he is going to either put me in a shallow grave in another home, or he's going to make the rest of my life a living hell. And trust me, even in prison, he's tried to do that. But the thing was, is I had to just go, okay, where, when I look back at this moment, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, what am I gonna say? And I, and I said at that point to myself, I'm gonna say that I did everything I could to be honest, and to tell the truth and not back down to the fear or intimidation or just the, I just, I was like, I'm going to do the right thing and I don't really care what the consequences are.
0: You know, I think you answered a question that I like to ask all of my interviewees, which is really like, if you could tell, if you as your future self now, who your present self could tell your past self or If your future self, if you could talk to them, what would they say? And really it sounds like you made a decision that I encourage all of my clients to make all the time, which is it might cost you greatly right now, whether that is emotional pain or whether it's something logistical. In your case, it cost you everything to stay in integrity with what you knew you had to do in order to live with yourself in the future. And it sounds like you did kind of, even as an 11 year old, 12 year old have some sort of, whether it was conscious or not conversation with your future self of like, is it now that I feel the pain or is it later? And Either way, it seems kind of inevitable. Am I willing to sacrifice more in order to have myself that I can honor and my mom, ultimately?
1: Yeah, and and the thing is, is that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just that. When I made the film, people were like, well, why did you make the film? I said, well, I did it to heal myself. And I said, if I can change one person's life I've done my job yeah because there's a kid sitting there 12 years old going through the same sorry it's the same shit yeah and he is is literally staring down the barrel of like life going I don't think I'm gonna make it and I wanted to tell that kid who was me you are like you're going to survive this. You're going to get through it. I know it sucks and it's not easy. And it is a, it is a grind. And sometimes you feel like, and, and, and maybe the truth is, is that it only gets harder. It doesn't get easier. <laughs> yeah. You know, you you, 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 the more you delve into these things and, but you talk again about these conversations you have, like one of the things that I deal with, and I'm dealing with it now because as, you know, I, I've been in several publications. I was just in the New York Post, just in the Independent yesterday. I heard. Uh, you know, it was, I which is amazing them. for the for the podcast, you know, because this is the next genesis of, uh, genesis of what I'm doing, right? Or the mm-hmm. evolution. But, you know, my family still remains completely disconnected from me. And there was a brief time, last year where some of them reconnected with me or one of them reconnected on my mother's side, but now they're just like, it's just the same thing. And the message that I'm trying to get out to people is that your, your, your face, you have a choice to make and you can either do the work and get through this, or you can let it control and destroy your whole life. And I have only seen that with like my family and yeah. it is so tragic and i and i want to scream half the time at the top of my lungs guys i know that this sucks and this is so hard but if anyone deserves to be pissed off and say f the world it's, it's me you. and i don't like i lost everything and on top of that you guys disowned me a child who had nothing like i like i had nothing to do with my father i've nothing to do with with what's, with, with anything that he's done, nor would I. I'm sorry that I happen to be male, and I look like my mother, not my father. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's it's just it's, it was staggering to me. And as I, you know, as I started to get into adulthood, as it was already astonishing to me growing up, as I got into adulthood, you know, you get the age where you're having. To, well, I don't have children, but uh, I've furry children, but. <laughs> um <laughs> But I don't, you, you know, but you you are of that age where you start thinking, oh, if I had to care for another being or, you know, I, I'm adopted and my adopted brother has three, three boys and they're my nephews. I cannot imagine something happening to my brother and his wife and me saying to those nephews, yeah, yeah that's cool. Just you, you'll figure it out. <laughs> like that would be.
0: No. And I mean, it's obviously trauma is. Just doesn't even cover, I think, quite the the word for what you went through at at eleven, and really continue to go through as you, like you said, go through the different Genesis, <laughs> the Genesis of uh, of uh, reopening the wound for yourself, and then also sharing in a mission driven way, and. I don't know if you saw, I, I recently left your podcast or review that referenced two of my personal heroes, in, uh, including Tara Westover and Nora McNerney. Are you familiar with either of them?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, so- uh, I haven't
1: read Educated yet, but I definitely want to.
0: Yes, so Educated, um, just as a backstory for the listeners, uh, she, Tara Westover is the author of the- world-famous autobiography, Educated, where she grew up with some crazy schizo-bipolar undiagnosed parents um, that didn't believe in medicine or doctors or support the government. And they basically were raised in a cult environment and she was not allowed to read or be educated. It was just very traumatic stuff that she went through and that's just like scratching the surface of what it was. Sounds like
1: Christian science. (laughs)
0: There's all sorts of weird stuff that was going on there. And I don't even know if it had, she had a label for it, but she managed to get herself out of that situation, which cost her her relationship with her entire family, everything that she knew. And she was able to get to, I believe Oxford. And she wrote this book that is so, self-aware and i just found that with you for people who go through trauma there's usually something about them that you can tell from an outsider talking to them that they're still they're in the trauma so much that they can't really see what has been happening in a clear and unbiased way the way they describe it is purely from their from inside of it and not from a uh lens of inside and outside. And I think Tara did it so well. And listening to you talk about your story and how, what you were able to do with the documentary and the podcast is so incredible. And I, I have people who have come to me, Nora McInerney is another person who her husband, you know, died of a brain tumor and she created the podcast. Terrible. Terrible things Thanks for, for asking.
1: asking. Yeah. 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 And it's a great, it's a great message. And it's like, mm. it's, cause it's real, it's authentic. And I think that, that, you know, when people, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I just,
0: all right. Just,
1: um, we're uh, both
0: podcasters. Uh, so like we have that desire to,
1: <laughs> well, I just wanted to, you know, there
0: was. <laughs>
1: no i'm gonna get emotional again um That's there was something so i was great screen- so i was screening this um I, I was screening the documentary in cleveland you know in ohio and it was for the the cleveland international film festival I, I make this like cheeky joke while i'm up there after the film when we're doing this panel and i said i said oh yeah so this feels like a um like i'm on a panel at comic-con audience laughs or whatever i'm taking more questions this guy stands up he's gonna give him a question he goes because I don't have a question. I have a statement. <clears throat> he said, you yeah, know you just said this is Comic-Con? He's like, let me tell you my friend. You're a real-life superhero. And your superpower is how authentic you are. And, and how you've taken what you've done to be exemplary. And so this is not a rah-rah-me thing, but it boils back to the message that you can either take these things by the horns and say they're not going to control you or you can or you just or you just succumb to them and for me even at 11 12 years old i was like you know future self may be saying like look this is not the way and and also like this is not what my mother would want you know and this is not life. This is not what life is about. And I think a lot of times, like, people will become Im- Im- bitter. Like, okay, so Nora, her, her, you know, her, her husband dies of a brain tumor. It's easy to say, well, you know, F it all. Like, mm-hmm. life is just, ter- you know, whatever. No, th- she does something out of it, you know, and it's a successful podcast. And, and, and like, like you said, I don't people.
0: think she had the same intention of like growing it to what it is today and same thing with you it's like you're that starts out that seedling of if i can just help one person
1: absolutely and
0: at the same time somehow make sense of and heal myself that is going through this at the time while helping other people that really is the point and i think when you and tara and nora are able to be so incredibly self Brave mixed with self-awareness it it creates this magic elixir and this space for us all to really to really heal along with you and say like it's okay there is i mean even for me i have not been through a trauma and i I'm so comforted by all of your willingness to continue to put one foot in front of the other after going through something that's unimaginable to most people. It makes it makes me, I usually say all the time is to my clients, this this podcast used to be about how how feelings fit into business and about how important it is for you to understand your negative emotions and your positive emotions. And I said, for me the more i experience a negative emotion the more i show myself how unfuckwithable i am like the (laughs) more i just believe there's nothing i can't handle even if it's on a small scale and watching you guys do it on such a large scale it has an impact not just to people who have been through trauma but people who may have not had their trauma yet you don't know what kind of an impact that conversation will have on their future self. So I just wanted to acknowledge that as well. I was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. I think that you reach a broader audience than you think. And I think that, you know, it's a little bit, I don't know the word it's like, unfortunately and fortunate, like trendy that the murder podcasts and, and the, like people are interested and fascinated in it. And I think that, you know, your story though, it's important to people who aren't necessarily exposing themselves to that world so
1: sure you know i mean in a lot of ways i feel like well first of all i want to say thank you for saying fuck because now i don't have to now i don't have to pretend like i don't curse all the time my
0: producers (laughs) are not pleased with me every time they're like really this episode's not going to be able to air in India. I tried
1: to do. I tried to do it. And I'm like, I can't talk. And then my, So I have a friend that has a runs a successful a true crime podcast called The First Degree. Her name is Alexis Linkletter. And when she started, listening to her podcast, and she says, "Fuck it." I'm like, "Oh, okay, thank God." She's like, "Yeah, just be real." And I'm like, "Thank God." Yeah. Like trying to say the F word. No, it's not what life is about. And I, I'm not going to be egregious about it. But
0: this is a but, sensitive topic, and it's emotional, and I think it's yeah. important for us to and, let it but,
1: all out there absolutely and but it's interesting so the one of the things about the the my podcast is yes it's true crime but it's sort of like it's sort of not in a lot of ways even though i do discuss true crime yeah. i have lived like this true crime the true crime life right right and, and i did you know i probably did what a lot of true crime listeners fantasize about which i solved a murder with a police detective it just happened to be of my mother by my father yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, there, there are parts of the documentary and I'm, and I'm sharing and, and, you know, I had him come to the school every day to talk to me because I wasn't safe at home because my father was there. Oh, and he was traveling back and forth to Erie, Pennsylvania, which is where the house was.
0: How did? And how long did you live with your father before the trial, before you were pulled?
1: Well, I was uh, 25 days. Triangle. So he was arrested. I was yanked on January 24th, 1990 out of the house. And then uh, they arrested him on the morgue the morning of the 25th because they dug up my mother's body that night in erie but i was going back and forth with him and i would like literally my grandmother who is my father's mother was staying with us and she was really close to my mother which was odd um not odd that they were close together but odd because of the behavior that happened but mm-hmm. you know my father she would get angry with me and my mom had just bought a cordless phone so i'd take the phone and I'd run with it and like hide and you know a 75 year old or 70 year old woman isn't gonna like chase a 11 year old around the house yeah very successfully, so I would sneak this phone and hide. But I would literally like pull out. We had these bookshelves and which had crawl spaces, and you know I would pull the bookshelves out when I'd sneak around and to like look to to literally find my mother's body, like literally to see if she was stuck back there. Like these are the conversations that I'm having with a police detective when I'm 11 years old. Yeah. And there are, and I guess, getting back to my point is it, you know it is true crime and this true crime life with the podcast, but it's also it's also like a message of like inspiration and hope and and bringing people on the show that you know are that have found ways to move past whatever this trauma is that they have or whatever right. it is you, you know not just specifically murder related or tr- crime related so
0: let me ask you for those of my listeners who do have something that they went through that was a trauma whether it's grief related or whether it is sexual violence or whatever the case may be, and they do, they're listening kind of envious of your vulnerability and your willingness to kind of reopen the wound and still be able to focus your time and energy on this and successfully be able to make it your business essentially. And I think that the word I sometimes gets a bad rap. Any, any advice that you have for people who are like feel... Re- they really feel called to this mission, but they feel, feel I don't know, kind of hesitant or nervous to mix it into something that has to do with money or deals or or publicity.
1: I mean, I think that was the Shakespeare quote to the unknown self be true. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think, you know, I, th- I think you know vulnerability is a very is a, is a very it is a very now thing as a, as it is i think it's easier now than ever to be welcomed into the world expressing these vulnerabilities and i think the time is ripe for that for people that are struggling with incorporating that into their business or their or they're struggling into like to making a difference, or saying anything, or sharing their stories—I think now is a, is is a greater time than ever to have the courage to to share these things because people are so much more are so much more accepting of it. I, you know, I think even five years ago, ten years ago, we I mean, look at the Me Too movement, right? Look at these people that have come forward, and and look, you know, there was just a settlement—what was it yesterday or two days ago—with Prince Andrew and, and over this whole Ghislaine Maxwell thing and over this obviously him taking advantage of young women or underage I mean it's just just horrible just evil evil in its most pure form right and there is the settlement and like what he's going to say he didn't do this or that and so yeah you you know those things despite the the accusations everything people people seem you know and and the settlements and things people just go oh well you know did it make any good but yeah and you might feel defeatist about it, about your impact, but at the end of the day, you are making it. You are making an impact. Yeah. Even, as, even as small as it is, it's like, look, I made the film and then I just, you know, I, um, because I had to do it. And then That's the backlash, like, the, the, back, the, 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 the whole response was, was insane. And yeah, I think that like when I set out to do it, and i definitely had these things when i was a kid and i was literally in that foster home and i would say to myself you know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna stand on a stage one day and i'm gonna say these things to people and i'm going to do it and i remember when i first discovered ted talks i'm like i want to do a ted talk and i want to speak to this and i end up doing it You so know? you and, always
0: and- knew it was not something that i like, came to you later you always knew that kind of you had it within you like you said you said i, I made this movie because i had to like it was something that you felt like needed to get out of the, I,
1: yeah. I, I there's no choice yeah and I often say that with just a, a, an artist in general because that's what I am at the core I'm an artist mm-hmm. I'm a filmmaker I'm a you know a cinematographer photographer at all right but I, there was a choice and I think that when there's no choice, I mean you just you just have to go with it and you just kind of hope it works <laughs> you're like yeah. I hope I hope that this is going to be well received I hope despite there's a lot of stigma I mean there's a lot like i'll just give you an example of my personal life and even just the the the, <laughs> the uh, uh the quagmire that is my personal dating life so here you have this guy and you know you bring home to, to to mom and dad and you're like yeah and they go oh he's a handsome guy he seems very nice he's well-spoken what's his story oh you know when he was 11 years old his dad murdered his mother now i mean if i'm a parent probably not the story i want to hear about my my girlfriend my my daughter's new boyfriend or fiance or whatever. Yeah. So I, you know, there becomes especially in the
0: online dating world where they can Google you first.
1: For sure. Which I which I had on my dating profiles, like literally put everything out there. Like this is me. You can search me. This is what I like, you know, (laughs) here's a picture of me standing on a Ted stage. Here's a picture of me in front of a movie poster. Here's a picture of like just get it out of the way because Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to like look, I mean, honesty is hard for a lot of people, but like you know, I, I often equate the way I grew up a lot of times to, and this especially came to mind, my sort of awareness when I started working in Hollywood. Right. Whereas I was almost like a child actor where child actors kind of often grow up in front of an audience and you see them evolve. Right. And they were a little kid when they started the series and then they're a teenager when it ends, right. right? And they're driving and they're dating and you know, they're, they've gone through puberty and you're like, Oh, their voice changed. I I sort of was that same way, even though my, time in the public spotlight as far as, you know, because I I testified at the trial live on television. So it was like a thing that doesn't happen, obviously does not happen anymore. And they, uh, you know, so I kind of grew up in that spotlight. I guess what I'm trying to say is I grew up with this sort of stigma following me and you just have to kind of like, you just kind of have to roll. I mean, it still happens and people are like, are you sure about that guy or whatever? I mean, I remember I was dating a girl and her family was like, oh yeah, he has got to be a murderer, just like his father. I mean, it's like, and yeah, I can, and I can be very defeatist about that and be like, okay, nobody's going to love me for who I am and nobody's really going to care. and They're always going to judge me on what my father did, which may happen, but I have no control over that. I have no, I have no, I I have no, I have nothing for that.
0: And that Uh, I just think is such good advice for anyone who does want to take their personal life and make it a part of their message and their mission for their business is that ultimately, If you aren't able to separate out other people's thoughts and feelings and actions in response to your mission from the point and the purpose and who you are, then you shouldn't probably do it. Because at the end of the day, what you just said was the reason why I think that you and Tara Westover and Nora McInerney are so healthy in the way that you talk about such fucked up shit is because you are able to put some distance between who you are as a person and what happened to you and what you're saying and what other people are thinking and what they're interpreting and i think that you know a lot of people have fear and their biggest fear about going on and trying to pursue this mission that might really be on their heart like you said they're an artist they feel like they have to do it but they're living in fear of what other people might think and or do in response of it so you said that really well i thought
1: yeah i mean i think that if my future self had said anything to me in that moment i'd be like you know what bro nobody else is gonna live your life but you yeah (laughs) you gotta Mm -hmm. live your own life and just say fuck it all Mm -hmm. and i think that was just you know and, and again You don't say that in like an indignant way. It's not like an entitled thing. It's not like, oh, we're all just No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. Because that's a pity party.
0: And that's that's
1: (laughs) self-serving.
0: And that goes back to the parts where I'm saying too, where I don't see that in you. It's not coming from this victim place of like me against the world. And I'm telling you guys how it is. It really is self-aware. And it's also just cavalier about the things that are facts that other people might like just because they're facts does not mean that they're not difficult for people to process. And most people think like the way that I teach it as well, facts and circumstances are neutral. And then we have our story and our thoughts about the neutral things that happen. And like murder is bad is a thought that I am glad to keep, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and I'm glad to think. And I think that, you know, there is that thing with sociopaths too can just like look at Things in such a neutral way, and they don't necessarily have that feelings part that comes. No 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 no, 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 no,
1: no, no! Don't don't get into it. They don't look at it in a certain way. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's a way to describe it so people can comprehend it that are normal people. Yeah. So Sociopath, sociopaths, and this is what I talk about in the, in the TED Talk is there. There's a thing called the mirror neuron system, which is our limbic system, right? Which is where mm-hmm. our ability to feel, to understand, to empathize with other human beings. Right, mm-hmm. you know, t- 20 to, 21 years ago, towers went down in New York, in Lower Manhattan, and the world watched and just hearts broke. Right, and we empathize and we tried to understand what what happened and 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 put ourselves on that level. Sociopaths don't do that. They in don't fact, even have it. That. Doesn't even occur. It doesn't even happen. And there was a very specific, you know, when. Uh, so I'm filming this scene with my father in prison. Right. I mean, this just shows you. This is like a textbook example. In the scene in the prison, I come into the room and my father is in a very like jovial sort of mood. Or he comes in the room rather. I'm sitting there, and he has this very, "Hi, good to see you." Blah blah. blah you know, a little small talky, right? And then I hit my father with this statement. And, I, and when I was saying this to Dr. Phil. I was like, you know, I, I say the statement, and then all the room—it's like all the air got sucked out of the room, and it just like it got real. Like shit got real. It's, as soon as I said, this is one of the things I've been interested in, interested in, my entire life ever since you murdered my mother. And literally, as soon as I said that to him, his whole demeanor changed. And it was the first time that I, that I, that I said that to him, like right there, because I'd been waiting for 26 years or 25 years at this time to say this to him, 26, 27 years, whatever it was, and, and his whole demeanor changes. And, but my father legit thought that I was making a film to help him get out of prison.
0: <laughs> yeah i mean the, and, right, that goes back just, to the sociopath brain it's
1: just, right it's, it's just it's, just, it's all about them it doesn't it d- doesn't even occur to them and so you know it's but. it's and, and, and so i'm done filming this you know i'm looking at everyone and just he leaves i'm just like stunned i'm just like can somebody just tell me that the same blood that courses my that his veins does not course mine because i just i don't know i was just really shaken up by it because sometimes you know you hear about these horrible things. And, and granted, this is my whole life, so I've, I've known my father. But again, it's just, you, you kind of come to that realization that some people are just, they're just like born evil. And like, you'll never, ever as a conscious being, as a person who has empathy and, and the way that the world is and understands these things, ever be able to understand it. You you're just not going to and that's a good thing.
0: Well, <laughs> it's I think good the, thing to not understand it. the moral here really is, is that you've proven And I know I keep referencing Tara and Nora and I'm sure there's countless other examples that really trauma doesn't have to make you into a person who doesn't have humor, who doesn't have um, lightness to them and who sees things in the same way as the circumstances may have set them out to, to see the world. So I just think for those of you, listeners, do you have one last, last message to anyone who is healing from their own trauma and/or looking to um, really do what you say so eloquently in your podcast and just move past it and help other people move past their particular trauma in a business way? I know it's a heavy qu- question.
1: <laughs> You're not your circumstances and you can be both the author and the audience of your own life <laughs> and when you do <laughs> as hard as it is it's, it's, it's worth it <laughs> it really is in the end i wouldn't change a thing about my life i know that's probably a very <laughs> dramatic and and maybe difficult thing to understand or to comprehend for a lot of people but it's the truth <laughs>
0: no i i can see that you mean it when you say it and i think that i hope that this episode really resonates and i just know that it will because it's it's integrity it's authentic you can feel it through and i know i get to look at you and for those of you who are listening know that this is also available on youtube for you to just get to know collier he is a person with depth like we all are. And for those of you who are listening that really are moved by this, I encourage you to go and uh check out his podcast, Moving Past Murder, and check him out. All of that information will be in the show notes. But I just wanted to say thank you so much, Collier, for coming on the show and for being vulnerable. Honestly. I welcome the tears, I welcome the cursing. It's real life, we're human fucking beings. And the feelings part of it, it's what makes business. And the the humanness is what makes business worth doing. And honestly, other than that, I don't wanna do business. I don't want to give my attention, my energy, my money to someone who I feel like is has an ulterior motive and is not really showing who who they are and that they can be affected, like you said, can be not just the author of their message, but can be the audience too. I thought that that was so beautiful. I'm going to be quoting that for a long time to come.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful.
0: (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much. And good luck with, I know you've got a a lot of uh, big interviews and whatnot that have been on the jacket. So just good luck. I think that what you're doing for your mom to honor her is brave and vulnerable and important.
1: So thank you. It's really interesting to hear myself go through all of that. And you know, of course I get emotional because I always do and whatever. <laughs> um, you know, I, I've said this many times on the program where I feel like I can look back on my life that I have created but also on what I did when I was that young and everything that i faced. And I think that the the most important thing for me that I would say to my, (laughs) as my future you is just, you did the right thing. And I don't think I really realized that at the time. I knew it was the right thing to do. I didn't think about the repercussions of what I was doing or the ramifications or the, you know, the positive ramifications in this case, I mean, I I guess that's a, you know, (laughs) take that with a grain of salt, if it was positive or negative. I mean, it was a very horrific situation, obviously, but I think that when I look back on that moment in my life now, which I do a lot, (laughs) I just am very grateful. I'm really grateful that I did what I did because i know that i can look at myself every day in the mirror and go you did the best you could and you took something that was a utter tragedy and tried your best to spin it in such a positive light and for me that's really all i can ask of myself right i mean i'd like to be a lot more successful in my life and you know, in, in terms of things that I want to accomplish or i like to do, but I do feel really good about where I've gone and where I've arrived and where I am and where I'm going or, or actually where I am right now and talking to you guys. Um, it's, it's wild thinking back to that time in my life. I'm not going to lie. It's not triggering. It's not, but it is emotional, but I'll get into this a lot more as I often do. Of course. Um, I guess I'm just glad that I had the integrity and the, I learned that from my mother to like be that person for her in that moment. It's a cool feeling, at least now. So on that note, I'm Collier Landry, and this is moving past murder. Thanks y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio in association with RSA Entertainment. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.